0: We we had talked uh, just very briefly before we got on the call now about uh, talking about the American church. And that was sort of, that's been something that Connor and I have in our own private discussions have talked about, about where the church is compared to the rest of the world. Why does it feel like there are so many churches, but it's very difficult to find one that is biblically based? Um, so we kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, but before we do, I was hoping that you could just kind of introduce yourself, uh, give us a little bit of a ba- little bit of background on you, and and then we can get started.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a thrill to be with you both, and thanks for having me on. I'm so grateful. My name is Chad Miller. Uh, The best thing you can know about me is that Jesus saved me when I was 16 years old. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And um, that's a whole separate story, not for this podcast, but I'm super grateful for how the Lord drew me to himself. The second best thing you can know about me is uh, I am married to Ashley Miller, and we just celebrated 25 years. And we have five.
0: Thank you very much. (laughs) We have
1: five wonderful children, four boys, one girl ranging in ages from... 18 to six years old. And um, the Lord called me into ministry uh, at a young age. I was in my, let's see, I was 19 years old when I sensed a call that uh, I may be preaching and teaching God's word. Uh, It's one thing to feel a call, it's another thing to have tools to actually get it done. And so it would be some years before I think I was uh, equipped to do the work of ministry that the Lord had called me to. But God, in his mercy, has allowed me to serve. Um, In the parachurch world, I was on staff for 12 years with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and uh, got to do some incredible things. I'm still um, an associate trainer for them and uh, fulfill some consulting roles occasionally. And um, I got to serve the local church without a title uh, for years and then was able to serve as an associate pastor at a church in Concord, senior pastor at a church in Charlotte for almost five years. And then God, in his mercy, kindness, and sense of humor, has called me to plant a church, Mission Bible Church, in the University City area of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, there's my story in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing it. Let's kind of break that down. Um, so awesome. talk about the uni- <laughs> I'm gonna start off actually with Mission Bible Church. You talked about it being in the university area in Charlotte. For people that don't live around that area, what is what is the demographic? What does it look like? How do you feel Christianity is kind of spreading there or not spreading?
1: What what a great question. Uh, In fact, in March of 2022, when I was presented with the opportunity to try to see where a church would relocate, because that's what we thought we were going to do at that point, but we were praying through Charlotte. And what do you do, throw a dart at the wall? If you do, in Charlotte, you probably hit another church. I mean, honestly, there's (laughs) so many churches in Charlotte. Um, But the University City region, actually where I was, um, seemed to be advantageous for most of the people that I was shepherding at the time. So seven out of 10 of the flock would have benefited from us relocating somewhere in that neighborhood. So there's a place to start, right? Mm -hmm. So then I commissioned two studies for the religious demographic of the area. What's the spiritual temperature of the area? What we found is within that region, um, not just including the 35,000 students that make up uh, UNC Charlotte, anyway, um, from all over the world. But in that region of residents, six out of 10 identify themselves as unchurched and having no relationship with those who are churched. So here mm-hmm. we are in what we know as the Bible Belt, more than 1,200 churches in Mecklenburg County. And yet there are folks that are apathetic. Um, it's not even on their radar. It's not that they're militant against the church. Uh, a lot of times we feel like a lot of people are against us. Um, I have found increasingly the case church and God is not even on their mind. Spirituality, maybe, if they see something that interests them. Um, there's a wonderful book by Bravin and Holdman Publishers published two years ago called Apathyism, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a growing movement that I think is uh, really describes that none category, no religious affiliation. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the fastest growing religious identifying marker in the usa
0: wow so with mission bible so you decide you decide to plant it and i actually i've actually been to all the churches that you've been to in uh (laughs) north carolina so i actually have a little bit of a little bit of understanding very slight but i went I went to the church that you pastored at before, and I went to one service that y'all did, Mission Bible Church, did a, a few weeks ago, right? Um, and I definitely noticed some key differences between the church that you pastored in Charlotte and that uh, that your previous church, and then and then Mission Bible Church. Uh, and with structuring Mission Bible, what do you feel like, and uh, not in a way to trash any other churches, but what Never. were some what were some issues that you saw in the churches that you had seen or been around that you really wanted to see if you could rectify um, in the church that you planted?
1: I think every pastor sets out to do it well, and every <laughs> church wants to do their best to fulfill their mission as they feel they've gotten from the Lord. Uh, to that end, after you've been in church a while and and gotten to experience church in a lot of different ways, um, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes as a worshiper and then as a staff member and then as a pastor, um, your perspective begins to change. So one of the challenges that I presented to those that were helping us plant Mission Bible Church is we, we want to we want everybody to be able to take their Bibles, open it up, and not have to make a big leap to get to anything that we're doing. What do hmm. I mean by that? The the way that we do evangelism, the way that we do discipleship, the way that we do relationships in the 59 one another's in the New Testament, like that ought to be we we want to normalize um one anothering, that's not a verb, don't look it up. But we want to <laughs> normalize this culture, not just gospel doctrine and 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 a high value and premium on preaching because every church I've attended I believe it's had a high value on that, but we want to normalize uh, gospel culture, which is our orthopraxy, us putting into practice what we claim we believe. And so that applies also from the leadership down, which means we don't need to create systems that get in the way of somebody with a biblical understanding of what ministry should look like, which means we're going to be slower to grow because we're not going to do all the gimmicks. And we're not going to be flashy to some, um, but slow growth are the things that I'm after. You don't typically microwave a filet mignon. Uh, no <laughs> man would want to say, yes, here's that Ray filet. <laughs> it's cooked. What does it matter? It matters greatly how it cooks. And uh, long and slow, I'm okay with uh, because it tends to make disciples who make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ, not brand cheerleaders for an organization and that's what we're after. So our polity I think should reflect that as well. It's one thing to say that it's another thing to make sure leadership reflects that with a sense of humility. And so I'm trying to live on my knees and uh just lead as humbly as I can. Um less with a title and more with a towel of Jesus in John uh chapter number uh, 12 there as he's washing the disciples' feet.
0: Well f- well first off um- I can tell you're a pastor just by the filet mignon um, <laughs> analogy you had going on there. I was like, that that's thats something a pastor would do on a Sunday morning. So you've gotten your points there for that, which I loved it, by the way. Um, I but I want to actually uh, pick up... <laughs> I want to point out something that you said about sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to give you my observation and then you you tell me what you think. My observation, at least in regards to the christians that i've been around is that unless they said something i wouldn't even know that they were christians sometimes unless they're like in the church themselves so when i hear that a church is really focused on the gospel while i think a lot of churches would say that um very openly i have been I have been disappointed and even disappointed in myself that the gospel has not been a central focal point, at least in the churches that I've been around. Um, And so there's my observation and kind of the question to go with that is like, do you think that, and this is going to be broad, but you can pick at it as you want. Do you think the American church is not as gospel focused and if you don't think that they are, where do you think the focus often lands? Wow,
1: what a great question, um, thoughtful question. You mentioned your own experiences, uh, so I'm going to do a Jordan here. I'm going to I'm going to drill in and, and just make sure I'm getting the question. Connor, you help me out there. You're awful quiet, which makes me terribly nervous. I'm just going to <laughs> right off the bat.
2: Like I'm usually I, quiet. On,
0: okay, sweetie. He's quiet in the beginning. This is how Connor and comes works. in for he's the very- kill. Yes, he does. That's exactly what happens. Like he'll just be listening for about 20, 30 minutes. And then he's a
1: podcast ninja. That's what he yes, is. Yes. That's yeah, what we should call it.
0: him. He's a podcast <laughs> ninja. And then suddenly he comes out with these very interesting questions, but he just has to, he takes it in. He takes it all. all right. in, so don't Jordan, be nervous. You-
1: I'm not nervous. Not now. I've, cause I, I, I've got, I can block maybe. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Jordan, you mentioned that in your experience, until somebody verbalized the gospel or said something indicative, Lord, that you weren't a- observing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you could see no distinguishing or identifying characteristics that they were Christians unless they were in church on Sunday or happened to be doing something churchy outside of that church, yeah. church context. Okay. Yeah. I can well, understand.
0: Yeah, and, and to clarify that a little bit, when I when I say like distinctive Christian factors, the just the true believers that I've seen in my life, like they have displayed such a joy that is so evident uh, and so different. Um, there's a boldness about their faith. And so I think there's a lot of Christians who are who do love the Lord and care very much. Um, but there almost is like a timidness about hmm. even talking uh about Christianity, which I think is just a detriment to Christians, because if we really believe that the gospel saves, we would want to be talking about it. And I think that's something I've heard like there's an atheist quote about that. It's like they really believe this. Why are they not why are they not talking about it? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: It's funny, Jesus at certain points of his ministry in the New Testament, when he would heal someone, The time of his public announcement to all the leaders of Jerusalem was not at hand. He knew exactly what time it was. If you think back through the Gospels, it could be confusing as a young Christian, but he would say, don't tell anybody what happened. And you're like, you just healed me of leprosy. What do you mean don't tell anybody what happened? Right. But it's funny how he told them not to tell anybody and they told everybody (laughs) because all of them told everybody. And he tells us to tell everybody and we're struggling to tell anybody about the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's the challenge, right? We we all struggle, even in the Bible, to obey the simple commands of Jesus. And that brings me to your point about the American at church. I want to say quite carefully, I, I'd like to try to define, I don't want to waste a lot of time on this, but I want to define when you say American church, uh, the seminarian in me wants a clearer definition. I believe I know what you mean. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you don't mean, like, by that all of the denominational spectrum, Protestant, Catholic alike in America. Just the foreigners. Okay, so Protestant, Protestant and probably Protestant, let's use the label evangelical?
0: Sure. Yeah, I think okay. that's good.
1: Because the mainline Protestant denominations have abandoned the authority of Scripture and uh, doctrine, and they've just—that's thats not for debate. That's the reason they're all splitting and all the things are going on. And mainline doesn't mean big. It would be the historical mainline denomination. So we're talking about evangelicals, which identify themselves as believing that scripture is authoritative, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and that uh, grace alone through faith alone, like all these central tenets that we believe, virgin yes. born, resurrection, that's really the scope of evangelicalism. There's a term, big Eva, big evangelicalism that I think is probably what you mean when you think of the American church. Um, I would say that uh, as I thought through our time together and thought, man, if they ask me about the American church and I had a sneaky suspicion, they would. (laughs) (laughs) But you've also made it very personal in the way that you said it, uh, with why don't people share if they really believe it and why don't people live it out I mean, you hit it from every angle, Jordan. You, you've done a great job of just uh, nailing it from every side there. What's the big deal? I think the big deal comes down to a couple of things. I believe the highest moral good that we're being told right now is personal autonomy. I believe that cult- our culture has bought in that the highest moral good is that I am God and that nobody can tell me what to do. You see it in the pro-abortion world. It's the same lie that Satan whispered in the garden. That's your body, your rights, your life. God can't tell you not to eat of the tree. It's the same lie we're dealing with now. And we believe that I will do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And you all are so young, you may not remember that Burger King used to have a slogan that said, have it your way. That's our MO. We want everything customized in our way. Now, the two responses to that heightened um ideal if you will a personal autonomy um one is to cater to it and to customize the experience uh for the consumer and the other thing is to say yeah i understand that but that's a reflection of our brokenness and our fallenness and it's the same sin that god's identified from genesis all the way through revelation It flies in the face of John the Baptist's cry that Jesus must increase and we must decrease. It runs against the grain to um, the call that Jesus gave us to die to self. And it's antithetical to the preferring one another in the New Testament. And so when we think we're God, we want the world to revolve around us. And unfortunately, many churches live and die by the programs that they do to make sure that the customer The consumer stays happy and it's a never ending cycle. And so when you do that, you got to compromise somewhere because scripture makes some pretty big asks and some pretty high demands. I mean, dying to self, it's hard to get any bigger demand than that. That is a message that culture doesn't want to hear. So that's one issue is personal autonomy. I think the American church, I think any church in any culture goes off track and we see it happening around the globe as well. As cultures become more affluent, they tend to be more um, idolizing of personal autonomy. Um, there's a place where the American church or any church can get off the rails and trying to cater to the customer to keep them happy because you got to compromise somewhere. The second issue, that, which I can touch on later, I think really the big issue is authority. And most of us, let's be honest, hate submitting to authority. Like it is wired in us. It is the original sin in all of its grandeur. We just don't like authority. So when you say God's word is the authority by which we live our lives. Nah, well, it is where for the gospel, sure, but it, it's not going to tell me how to do this. And God's word <laughs> calls us to quite a few things and um, that run against our flesh. That's a long answer. I'm sorry, but I think it comes down to catering to the consumer and all of our um. Push back on authority.
0: Yeah. Well, when you said authority, I mean, I would feel like that kind of falls under the the first point of uh, you know Burger King. You're right, put it best. You know, have it your way. Like, in order to have it your way, you must be in control. And so, if there is anything that has authority, that thing has the control. Or in this case, mm-hmm. that thing um, is God. Now, just kind of a follow up question to that. Well, I'm trying to figure out which question to ask first. Let me ask this question because I am curious about your opinion. Um, when covid when Covid took place, which is almost four years ago, which is hard to believe. Um, mm-hmm. but four years ago, you know Covid happened, churches shut down, and then we started to see them at different times come back to uh, in-person worship and having community. What key changes do you feel like you've seen in the American church or Big Eva um, that wasn't there before COVID? Do you think anything changed that was significant to note? You I know, know I didn't put still... this on your talking points, but... Uh, no, actually... Um,
1: um, well, I've got it. Oh, there it is. Um, there's a book, Tom Rainer uh, has published a book called six Uh, urgent challenges on the post-quarantine church. So that's how relevant it is. Um, And some of the observations that uh, he made on that, he, he identified that it caused a reset that needed to happen. And he thought it was a great opportunity for the American church um, that was obsessed with program and trying to appease the consumer. Uh, to reset and get back to what matters most. And he also saw it as a wide open door that the church had never had before to reach people digitally in a way that they hadn't. Because you saw small churches, big churches, you saw churches that had no skill doing their best. They weren't trying to get on to get noticed or published. They weren't trying to get likes or subscribes. They were literally trying to feed the flock that couldn't get Mm. to the church. And there's a purity and a beauty to that that is, I think, worth noting with all of the problems that have come from that and some confusion that's come from that era, I think we saw some wonderful pastors uh, exhausting every effort to do the work that God had called them to do, which is to equip the flock for the work of ministry. So they grabbed a camera or their phone, a lot of them, and tried to figure out, now, how do I get this thing to work? It was uh, it was a time to marvel. If when you had a chance to catch your breath, you could marvel at what God was doing. But now I'm going to throw Tom Rainer under the bus. He'll never see this. And if he does, Tom, I love you. You've helped me many times in life. <laughs> Tom, uh, I've attended a couple of his sessions before in the past. Tom was also the guru, uh, a few years before COVID that killed the, uh, fellowship moment in churches. That's how much influence he has. You recall a lot of churches, maybe this may not be anybody's experience. And for those of you listening that aren't in the South, we recognize we're a bunch of weirdos. So I'll just fully acknowledge that. <laughs> but a lot of us have a, a fellowship moment, um, a moment to stand and shake hands with folks around you and and just uh-huh. to greet one another well tom's the one that said the number one thing that that people young people are saying they don't like is that well interesting interesting when we planted mission bible church here in we 2020 well we planted in uh, the end of 23 so in january as we were beginning to settle into some rhythms of worship one of the things that i just had been praying about and i talked to the team about i said guys listen when we were at our sending churches service big church with a lot of young people there they had a fellowship moment I've longed for that to come back I said and nobody ran out screaming like young <laughs> people were smiling old people were smiling covid took something from us that only together is bringing back and and so we like we weren't timid about it we thought hey we'll try it and if somebody tries to like you know say oh, I'm not coming i can't stand it you know we'll pray for them and probably keep doing it because i'm the pastor but anyway we'll uh we'll just see what happens and immediately it's been one of the highlights of the service and recognized as an act of worship as we engage with one another the people that we're about to worship with um now we don't do silly things it's not a gimmicky time or anything like that it's just a moment to connect with those around you i've watched introverts almost socially crippled introverts uh, still be ministered to in that moment because they were seen and they were connected to. So you said, what's come from that? Some, I, I've seen some good come from that. I've seen some churches turn loose of some ministries that were draining them and get back to some things, but that has to do with the circles I run in, Jordan. Um, I don't necessarily claim to have my finger on the pulse of um, where that's failing or some folks have done some things that... Um, that are tanking as a result of COVID. We did see a lot of churches shut down, uh, and it wasn't just because the the government came in and made a decree. It's because pastors, um, there's normally a high turnover rate of pastors. It's one of the top 10 most stressful jobs in America for psychiatric care and well-being. Um, pastors were not just burning out, but completely burning out physically Uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and we're incapable of ministry. And um, I don't want to debate anybody's position on, well, they should have had faith. We're not going to get into any of that. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying the toll that COVID took on those pastors trying to minister to the flock. And unfortunately, one of the biggest sins that I think we talk about the least is ungratefulness and ingratitude. And uh, for folks to demand more and appreciate less in such a sensitive time it just wore so many out so there's one of the biggest heartbreaks for me was that um, some churches failed that um, it was just heartbreaking to see pastors incapable of of going forward
0: yeah no that's tough um... And I want to, I'm going to go ahead and kind of switch a little bit of the gear here, just a little bit. I I said here I wasn't going to talk about politics, and we're not. Um, Go for it. But there has been a little bit. I ain't scared. (laughs) There has been a little bit of debate. um, I have noticed where there are some people that really want pastors to talk about political issues. They say you don't talk about. Abortion enough on the pulpit. You don't talk enough about transgenderism. You don't talk enough about this. Now there are some people that really think you know, church is the one place where I can just get away from politics. I don't want I don't want politics on the pulpit. Um, as a pastor. Can you tell me your perspective on what's appropriate, you think, to talk about on the pulpit and what's not? Should the church be involved in these types of cultural issues? Should they be talking about it to the, to, from the pulpit? Uh, what, is, what is your take on that?
1: What a great question. Jordan, you're really good at asking questions. You should run a podcast.
0: This is wow. Really, this is
1: really Thanks. Um, we just wait so, until
0: Connor comes in here with the ninja question. After yeah, this my,
1: one. my connection may suddenly get bad after that. So no, just kidding. <laughs> um, can I just say, though, that you raised um, two, two things. I believe you presented, uh, Jordan. Okay, so I'm going to be a little ninja-esque here. I believe you presented uh, not a false dichotomy, but a misnomer of the two issues. Abortion is not a political issue. It's been politicized, but it is very much a foundational life issue that's addressed all throughout scripture. Our God is a God of life, and um, he is the God that constantly mobilizes his people to step in the gap for the vulnerable and the voiceless. And so that's that's a gospel issue. Um, and uh, the Politics has hijacked it so that the church, I believe one of the greatest deceptions is that the church uh, abandoned it, thinking, oh, that's a political issue and we're not talking about politics. Wrong, wrong. Uh, You can't preach through uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and not come up on how God values life, that God breathed into man and man became a living soul. Transgenderism, uh, also Genesis 2. I mean, the two issues that you mentioned You can't touch scripture uh, in an exegetical way if you preach expository, meaning verse by verse, letting the the Bible kind of, in essence, preach itself. You stay out of the way and just, hey, we're in John. This week, it's chapter one. Next week, shocker, it's chapter two. And I found that God uh, has a way of using right where you are to speak to the cultural moment. And pastors that ignore The cultural reality, when scripture is clear, are doing violence to the text that they don't have permission to do. And they are man pleasers and they need to man up and preach the word and live between the leather and trust that God will do what he wants to do. So you asked for an opinion, you got one there. Okay.
0: A little (laughs) passionate
1: there. Sorry if my mic blurbed. The second thing I would say though is: no, I don't think we should preach to the political spectrum. From the pulpit. I think we identify issues for what they are when they come up from the text, but we're not getting into uh, this sense of uh, national identity unless we're talking about reaching our neighbors, reaching our neighborhoods, and reaching the nations. I belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. My citizenship first, I don't have a passport to prove it, but one day in eternity I will. My citizenship first is in a city whose builder and maker is god and so that's my first allegiance now i'm so thankful so thankful by god's kindness and sovereignty that uh i was born in america with all of its warts and all of its problems and all of our questions about the american church and its trajectory i have to remind you the american church has funded global missions not colonial missions global gospel missions Uh, more than any other nation i know that uh, south korea was getting close to us a while back and that's an awesome Mm -hmm. thing but those south koreans were discipled by missionaries sent by the us Mm -hmm. and so i'm so grateful for what god has allowed the uh, united states of america to do but uh, yeah you got to preach the word and if you preach the word the issues come up Uh, they come up as you're dealing with the text
0: yeah. And one thing I'm going to say and that I'm going to turn it over to the ninja um, just to push back, um, play devil's advocate a little bit. You talk Go about not making sure, like, we'll take abortion, not being politicized on on the pulpit. But sometimes like there can feel like there's this blurred line, like, for example, when Roe v. Wade was reversed, um, that would be. I guess in my head, I'm like, okay, Roe v. Wade. That's definitely political, because you know it was a piece of legislation. So, would you recommend not saying anything about that? Would that fall in the political camp, or would that be something that you could use just to talk about the the sanctity of life? Where would you where where would you land on that?
1: Oh, it's a another great question, and you're right to push back there uh, when I draw that line on. Uh, making sure that that Bible things say Bible things and we recognize the political realm as a realm we do operate in, just like we tell people how to do ministry in the workplace, I think we're wise to acknowledge what's happening around us. We can't stick our head in the sands. I think it depends on the liturgy of the church. So let me say that. Um, at Mission Bible, that's all I can speak to. At Mission Bible, uh, we would have addressed that in kind of an opening prayer moment. Um, Both celebrating uh, this moment where the nation that God planted us in, its attention, at least for the moment, is on the sanctity of life. Now, was Roe versus Wade turned over because America is all in on the sanctity of life? No, Roe versus Wade was turned over because it was bad judgment. I mean, even, um, oh, I've just lost her name. The judge that died recently.
0: Ruth Gator, uh Thank you. Ginsburg?
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh Getting Ruth. Heard. She, as liberal as she is, acknowledged it was one of the worst things they'd ever done from the bitch. It just was it was bad and it it should not have done. It didn't pass legal tests. But because it was an, an ideology uh issue and you know, essentially spiritual warfare too, um it just cut ca- kept coming back. It was easy to politicize it. So I'm I'm glad it was overturned because it was a bad judgment on the Supreme Court's deal. It was just a bad case and the way that they handled it. I'm also glad that there for a moment, there was a reprieve. But what's happened as a reverse? So if we get up on a Sunday and say, praise God, America's for life, right? Mm -hmm. Well, within a month, you've got states doing way worse legislation than what Roe v. Wade was. Uh, killing babies up until child up until they're born. So, did God mess up? No, no. So I think it's right for the pastor to say, "Hey, church, uh, just like we don't believe politics or politicians are our savior because they never deliver." <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't said that. Um, no, no, that's
0: fair. You can say that. You can say anything you want, Chad.
1: They, they make big promises, and and it's hard. Let's acknowledge it's hard for them to deliver. They can be kind of rose-colored glasses, and then go in and see all the bureaucracy, right? But they make big promises, and they rarely deliver. At the same time, when something we feel like goes our way on the national level, we need to take a moment. Yes, acknowledge what's happened, but be ready for the next battle. And that's exactly what we saw there. So I think the pastor. Uh, Is right to be reserved in a moment and take a breath. I don't think the pastor's got to read the Google News Feed on Sunday morning and feel like he's got to comment on everything. We've lost Mm -hmm. the art of being slow to speak. Um, I don't owe anybody an answer on anything immediately. I'm not a 24-hour news feed, right? I'm going to preach the Word, and I'm going to take time to process and then speak to those things uh, that are affecting the congregation. One other thing to note. My charge is to shepherd the flock that's among me. So there may be an issue, a political weight or national weight or newsworthy issue that resonates for my pastor friend in Idaho Falls or Pocatello or uh, somewhere in California that has no bearing on my life. None. It's not a battle I don't even. I'm not even aware of the story. So it's hard to make this large swath of a statement that say these issues have to be discussed. I think you you have to shepherd the flock that's among you. Know where your people are and uh and recognize the pulpit's not a bully pulpit just to get points across.
0: Hmm, that's sure.
1: All right, Connor.
2: I've I've drunk
1: yeah, all my yeah, cap right. tea.
2: <laughs> uh not not entirely to bring us back to the uh to the american church but from biblical times biblical examples of what churches used to look like especially post death of christ uh actually that's really when they started to the model that we have now in america for a church it looks very different uh we've got organized uh buildings we've got memberships we've got classes we've got missions all these different things and the the modern church is looking more like a business and that was the description that i was getting uh from you earlier in the podcast was they look they act more like businesses they're catering towards their consumers and the biblical examples that we have are probably more like small groups uh that are branched out of some churches That being said, with the way things are now, it seems as if the church has become weaker or more watered down with the less or with less persecution than it originally incurred. At this point, we had we had people in Bible times dying to profess their faith, and now people are too scared to talk about it. Um, So. When I look at it, like how how do you see it as how, how far have we come from there? And is it necessarily a good thing?
1: <laughs> Connor, I, I counted about nine questions and issues in that. That's awesome. You are a black belt with the 10th degree, or at least ninth degree in this one, ninja uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Well done, brother. Okay, so um, I'm going to work my way backwards. And that way, if we get time to address certain things, I I, uh-huh. I would like to put a pin in the, um, membership missions, uh, buildings thing. I'd like to come back to that in just a minute. Yeah. Your broader question, which I think, uh, deserves greater attention is are, are we watering down, um, systematically mm-hmm. as, as what we see in American culture? And what is the, um, the biggest bandwidth of what church looks like in this nation uh, How far have we come from what it looked like to be a biblical church? Yeah, it seems to me as if the the river grew wide, not deep. Okay, yeah, what a great observation. Um, I would concur statistically uh, that that's the case. Dr. Al Mohler, who is the president of uh, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and Boyce College, made this statement not too long ago. That the stats that are coming out that are showing that more and more people are leaving the church uh, can be alarming if you're not well versed in a biblical hermeneutic uh, and recognizing that what who are leaving uh, consumers that are dissatisfied with the product they're being sold, um, but the church Bible church word those who have a relationship a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ understand that they belong to jesus and they belong to one another so that's the church right Mm. we may have attenders going away but first john or 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 in the epistles of john it tells us clearly that those that went out from us were not with us that doesn't mean somebody that missed a couple sundays on uh over easter (laughs) it's talking about we're talking about those that literally we're seeing folks deconstruct their faith and abandoned their faith well these had a form of godliness scripture would I mean I've, all I've got's the bible to go on right mm-hmm. and scripture says that's a form of godliness with no power uh those are those who are clouds without water um and and so that's a that's a normal thing that's been happening hebrews talks about people that were forsaking the assembling of themselves selves said don't don't do that we need to gather together which by the way they did in a building i'll come back to that. but we need to gather together i love you connor great questions man and, uh, and I'm preaching through like our foundational series, which deals with church family and touches on history. It so, uh, <laughs> caught me at a great time. And I, I'm not even caffeinated. Good time That's to awesome. practice.
0: <laughs>
1: so so um, we're, we're dealing with, yes, I think where it is easy to be a Christian, um, which I would say historically in this nation, it has been um, culturally acceptable up until recently to identify as a Christian um anecdotally when you would move to another town uh, as late as the 60s and 70s maybe even the early 80s shocker mm-hmm. i was alive during two of those
0: <laughs> sorry guys
1: from the 1900s as my kids now refer to it dad was that in the 1900s when that happened
0: thank you son thanks for that <laughs> um i have to know which so, kid said that after we're off air
1: <laughs> two or three of them like it's a whole thing now it's, oh they, <laughs> they, think like it's yeah. they think it's real funny yeah it's real funny <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but as early as then, when you moved into a community, you would join the local church because it was good for your business, whatever your business was selling cars, selling insurance, whatever it was good for your business. And it was a, uh, just an expectation in the community. And this was nationwide. This was not just thing. I mean, we could talk about Protestant Catholic, but you joined the good, the big church, the prominent church in town. Then it was good for you to do it. Now, I believe in 2024, if you join a Bible-preaching, Jesus-centered church, it's going to cost you something. Your theology is going to cost you something more than it's going to benefit you in the culture and context you live in. Uh Okay. So, so yeah, we come a long way. And where church is acceptable and the cultural norm, which it was for so long in this nation, um, we become lazy. I mean, we just become lazy. How many times in the scripture does God say, remember, remember a chapter later, remember, mm-hmm. He's telling children of Israel who've just come out of Egypt. It's remarkable. Like they're still, I'm I'm guessing they, the Red Sea's still immune. He's like, now remember. And I'm like, remember, how could they forget? And then I think about myself and how quickly I can forget not only the commands of the Lord, but just what he's done in my life. So I think we are prone. To laziness. Um, And we have started to buy into that lie of self autonomy is the highest good, personal autonomy, which means, yeah, I can go to church, I'll do it my way. And my own person, I'm going to chart my own personal spiritual experience, just me and Jesus. The problem is, if you're with Jesus, then you belong to the church. And the two churches mentioned in scripture, back to now I'm working my way backwards. Is that okay? Uh-huh. There's the in, the invisible church, the global church to which we all belong. I was in yep. São Paulo, Brazil, in September of last year, and with two of my sons on a missions trip. It was glorious. We met brothers and sisters in Christ that we had never worshipped with, but we worshipped the same God, same confessional, and just amazing time together. We're all a part of the global church. Those that are in Christ are connected to the body of Christ around the globe. And some people say, "Well, that's all it is because." I can't find a church building in the Bible, and I can't find all this. Well, most of the New Testament is written to or about the local church. It was not the church global. It was the church at Ephesus. It was a church at Smyrna. It was a church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica. Jesus, even in Revelation, is quoted, and he quotes the, the seven churches that were on the rural trail, the delivery trail. Uh, Once you got into that region of the world, if you look at how they're charted out, it's how the letters would be carried. It's the way you would carry letters around. And he's talking to specific churches, churches that had a location, churches that met in a centralized location. Acts 2 shows that membership model, that confessional model of membership. And it shows what they did as they left the large gathering. There were small groups, but after they left that large gathering and they continued to gather together, the preacher in Hebrews acknowledges that. And so, yes, we've institutionalized some of that to our harm. And yes, we've let systems get in the way of some more pure gospel work. But um, it takes, uh, Jesus was a God of order when he was here. And you see small groups organized, even when he fed the 5,000, and things organized and done in an orderly way. Acts 1, eight, there's the missional command. Uh He says, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then if you follow the book of Acts, that's the outline for the missional outreach of Acts, exactly the way they do it. It was global missions at the time. And so a lot of missions organizations still follow that today. So yes, there are organizations. Yes, there are entities. Yes, nobody's doing it perfectly. Um, but the issue comes to our own personal walk with Jesus and making sure that we are actively contributing to the health of the church and um, not just sitting back and critiquing all that's wrong. Does
2: that help? Yeah, I think that helps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm There's curious, a lot which, of things which... because we're flawed. It's, it's so easy to, to point out all the flaws. It really, really is. Follow me for a day. I'll give you a list. But, uh, but we, we, with the tools that we've been given with our Bibles open and there's the challenge, brother, I'm afraid, um, I don't want to chase this tangent too long. I don't have an ax to grind here, Uh, not a personal (laughs) one, but I am afraid that we've, we've kind of bowed on the altar of, um, efficiency at times and. As long as somebody's a good communicator, we don't care how they live. We don't care about their character as long as they're competent at their job. Um, I, you hear that statement made about presidents. Uh, it happened this is before your time, I don't know, but when Clinton was in office, a statement was made, but I don't care about his character just as long as he does a good job running the country.
0: They say that about and Trump never, too, so
1: Yeah, yeah right, back. right. but I, I wanted you yeah. to know it's not a new argument. Uh, mm. It's gone way yeah. back. We didn't know a lot of what JFK was doing behind the scenes until much later. But um, it's, it's all this thing. So we don't care about it, but we do care about it. Like we care about it for our guy, right? Mm. We really, right. Or we rather, we don't care about it for our guy. I should say we, we care about it against the other guy. That's a better way to say that. But, but we've done that in the church, brother. And one of the greatest indictments, I think, against our uh, celebrity pastor culture is that when a pastor falls and commits some gross immorality, and harms the flock. Everybody goes. Oh, I just didn't know how he could do that. I'm so shocked. He was reaching so many people. Yeah, I got news for you. That that's not a measure of effectiveness and faithfulness for the Lord. Hmm. The, the only thing we'll give an account for is is how did we do making disciples and 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 our faithfulness to God, right? When, when we stand before God, and so we've traded competence. Um, we, we've put that in the place of character. We want competent communicators in the pulpit that can fill the place up. And the sad thing is you don't need Jesus or the Holy spirit for any of that. All you need somebody that can sell a good product on the platform. Mm -hmm. So no wonder so many fall, uh, it's what we deserve for trading, um, biblical integrity and pastoral integrity for a good show. Okay. now. That was way too much opinion. I need to <laughs> just pray and spend time in the word.
2: No, no worries. Plenty of opinions to be had <laughs> around the the podcast. Um, I was going to ask you, which part in Acts chapter two do you see membership?
1: Oh, okay. So uh, I said Acts two. You've got, um, I, I might've been Acts four. You have to forgive me. Let me get there. In Acts four, I actually... Um,
0: Caught me I brought my here. Bible to you. Be proud of me. You can't see it,
1: I, but I'm here. very proud. But I just preached on a gospel family on on uh, Sunday on this concept of of um, of membership and how we belong to to one another, and and the terms that the Bible uses. First Corinthians 12 is one of the best for uh, one another. It's actually a better example. But but in Acts 4, uh, in one of the ways that they did that, uh, I'll give you where membership is is explicit. It was Acts 1. I do have a verse in Acts 2. Yes, I knew I didn't. I'm not losing that. See, (laughs) it was just Sunday, guys, and I'm struggling to remember. So local church membership was implicit when Jesus unpacked Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, when Jesus said, uh, if there's a brother that sinned against you and you can't resolve it, remember, as as he's walking us through how to resolve stuff, right? And he Uh says, tell it to the church, the ecclesia. Tell it to the church. The called out, assembled, tell it to the church. Well, if if it's not a local assembly there, a covenant local assembly, to which they belonged, where the offended and the offender were seen, who are they telling it to? The global church, uh, or any church? Do they just show up at any church and say, "Hey, we're not members because we don't believe in membership"? But this brother ticked me off. They're Like, who are you? Tell me about your confession of. So it, there's, it's not just implicit. It's not a doctrinal leap here because I'll give you some some better proofs, but. But Jesus himself says, tell it to the church. No established church at that point. He's talking about that called out body that will be. In 1 Corinthians 5, you see church membership is required for excommunication. How do you excommunicate somebody that you're not in covenant with? Are they kicking them out of the global church? Who can do that? The Pope? Your pastor? Like 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13, Paul uses the language insiders versus outsiders and purging the evil person from you. Now, I'm doing all this to land at Acts to help you here. In Acts 115, you see that um, you've got 120 in the upper room. How do we know that? Because somebody counted who was there in a physical location, right? So I have people say, I just wish we wouldn't count who's at church. I'm like, it's biblical. Like, now we don't have to get a big head about it, but it's still biblical. And in Acts 2.41, there's my Acts 2 reference, It said that the 3,000 were added to the church. Uh 241, they knew their numbers. They knew who they were from the covenant they had together. And there was a covenant um, group of believers that now some others were being added to. Um, They gathered together for teaching, for prayer, for the Lord's Supper, and to be in one another's home. They gathered together. Look at the distinction. The teaching, the prayer, and the Lord's Supper were not in one another's home. That was in the gathering. So that that goes back to the gathering thing we said earlier. And they were together. This was the church at Jerusalem. This was not the global church. This was the church at Jerusalem. From there, their missions endeavors then touched the other regions. Um, So, I mean, it's just a couple things I would point you to the sermon on Sunday. And, uh, <laughs> Bible, study. you'd like the rest. That's a tease. That's all I'm going to give. But um, it's actually impossible to fulfill almost all of the fifty-nine one another's given in the New Testament without having a covenant relationship with a local body, because one third of them are about love. Uh, one and of them cup up under the um, about humility. Um, and I'm trying to give you the right numbers because now I'm paraphrasing and I'm going to do it wrong. And, and, gonna and gonna, Jordan's going to get me. Yeah, he's going to say, that's not what you said, Sunday. I heard your message. Trying to, <laughs> trying to give you that in the one another's here. Here we go. Sorry. Uh, there's a third of them are connected to love. Good. I was right. A third of them are connected to unity. Sorry. Unity in that local context, not global. And half the remaining points to the humility necessary to fulfill life together. In tight community, and the remaining uh, are kind of all over the map. But the New Testament is clear: for the Christian, there's no picture of a Christian that doesn't belong to Christ. He's the head; he's the authority. And we would go, well, yeah, of course, that's great. But equally authoritative, Scripture makes the case that there's no picture in the New Testament of a Christian uh, maturing in their walk that doesn't belong to one another and a one another in that local context. I said maturing in their walk, Connor. So you wouldn't say, "What about the thief on the cross?" Because he didn't have a chance to. Yeah. <laughs> well
0: Yeah, I've had a recent. Uh, there's been a recent discussion we've had going around about, um, and, and I'm not going to get us on this tangent, but uh, baptism as a part of salvation, which I'm I'm sure you're familiar with completely. Am, um, yeah,
2: it's an old arch baptism.
0: <laughs> oh yes, because there's the Pentecostals that they believe in. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, and then there's and water, water. and fire. Really? Yep. That sounds three. like Avatar. Oh, that sounds weird, but it sounds like <laughs> water, Avatar.
2: fire, earth.
1: Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> yeah. a, that sounds like three <laughs> Disney rides.
0: It does. Yeah. It, it sounds it sounds like a lot, but um, well, someone. Yeah, there was the argument about baptism uh, as required for salvation, and. And I was like, well, what about the thief on the cross? Like he didn't That's even a get a, He didn't even get a chance to get baptized. But I mean, we can't say Jesus was wrong when he was on the cross be you know, like, oh, he's just exhausted. He didn't know what he was talking about. Like, no, like he right. obviously right. he obviously made it. He obviously made it to heaven. So I don't know. Um, just reminded me of that. Uh, Connor, did you have any, uh, any follow-up questions?
1: Oh, I like that. You didn't ask me about that. I was, I was, I had, I mean, I was thinking <laughs> through it. I was ready to answer, but I like that you deferred to Connor. Yeah, it's Connor. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, no, I mean, those are some verses I haven't heard in that context, so I'm interested to look at them, but I don't initially, I don't see them as the list of membership requirements that i read on churches' websites these days. It's just not there for me. Geographically. Yeah. yeah there's a community of believers for sure. Do I think that they're on a membership list with a church back then? Not so much. I don't think they had a scroll with everybody. I guess the way I read it is when it talks about being added to the number. It's talking about believers in general, just mm. being added to the, maybe not the overall number, or it is the overall number. All right,
1: Connor, but, let me ask you a question. When you get in your daily reading to the genealogies, you stop mm-hmm. and focus on every name? To pronounce them, yeah. <laughs> well played. But I mean, like, <laughs> like everybody has a story there. And can you imagine if we hit Acts 2 and it's like, and 3,000 were aimed and they were Joshua and Josiah and Jesus And like, it just names all these things. So I, I would say that um, the high level that we get in scripture on some things, there's some details that God wants us to see clearly because they matter, uh-huh. even though we don't understand the genealogy, Lon Solomon. He used to pastor and planted McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C., uh, was raised in a Jewish home. And that genealogy in Matthew, where it was unpacked, he, um, that's what the Lord used to point him to Christ. Because he knew, he didn't know anything about the New Testament, but he knew all those guys and knew all those stories. in that genealogy there, why do I say that? I'm saying the 3,000 weren't named, but they had names. And everybody at the church at Jerusalem knew who they were because they were in one another's homes. And there's a sense of community that was more than just, I know we love the organic because it seems sensational, and it is, but you can't excommunicate from some, somebody from uh, something where there's no covenant. There's just no place for that in, in the Bible uh, when you look at the way covenants work in the Bible. Um, I'm not making the case or defending every church's membership process but, uh, I would say that, um, it's wise for you, uh, to keep digging. It's a beautiful thing to keep digging, digging and figure out why do I belong here and not there? What's distinctive about here and not there? Why are these my people and not those my people? It's great questions to ask Connor. Keep asking them. Great questions. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Um, and what I'll, uh, I'll have an ending question. And then, uh, Connor, if you have another ending oh, question, that'd sweaty. be great.
2: No, I won't do a second ending question.
0: <laughs> well, I don't want to, I, I want you to want you to be able to con, contribute to this part. Because I think it's, I think it's good when, as a, as a, as a new church planner, what would you suggest to people when they're looking for a church? If they're looking for a church, like a couple of key things that they got to have.
2: Or to stay away from there. I'll add on to yes.
0: it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. great. Yeah, no, I think that's good, actually.
1: That's a really great question. You know, it's funny, when you survey people, one of the reasons they say they're looking for a church, six out of 10 identify themselves as in crisis. And, and that's a motivating factor. They're searching for an answer to a problem or for uh, something along that level. That's Those are, are stats that we've been seeing for, for some time. Um some of the other main things is they just want to belong to something, and so what? What do you do with that? Um, so, so those are the feels, right? We can sit here and talk about the ideological and the doctrinal bulwarks that ought to be in place and make sure of things, But, but the reality is, people don't tend to make decisions based on that. Everybody's not Connor and Jordan. We, we wish more people were. Trust me, because I've just enjoyed being with you both. But, um, I think that uh, people make decisions based on emotion and the way they feel and the way people make them feel. And so um, I would say, especially if you're able to get your hands on a Bible, um, is the pa- does the sermon, does the message feel like the pastor is using a couple verses to say some uh, nice things or exciting things? Or do you feel like the pastor has a heart for the congregation to know the word of God? I would ask you a question about the music, not its style, but its substance. Are these songs you'd want sung at your funeral? Do they point people to an everlasting father who will never fail? Or are they so consumed with the here and now and all the feels that it's a great pop song, but I don't know that I'd put it on a list for my funeral. And that may seem incredibly morbid, but that's the way pastors think, sorry. I would say, as you look around the people, do I feel like I've been handled by these people um, because they're trying to accomplish something in the realm of attendance or retention? Or do I sense this is a family that is welcoming me in? Now, here's the challenge I'd give to somebody looking for a church. you got to go more than one Sunday. Listen, nobody hits it out of the park every Sunday. The pastor may be having an off Sunday. The wrong greeter might be there. Like, I'm just saying, like, don't, don't do a one and done. You don't do anything. And you'll watch three seasons of a Netflix show before you'll say, <laughs> I don't like this, but you go That's to weird. half a one service. They play a song you don't like. And you're like, I'm out. So don't do that. I would, that I encourage weird everybody, guest
2: pastor? Our guest speaker, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. right,
1: right, right. <laughs> if, if there's a compelling reason for you to give a church a try, now don't give an unbiblical church any more chances. You get there and they're not preaching the word, or they're preaching mm-hmm. something that's clearly an error. You get up in the service and leave, and tell them Pastor Chad from Mission Bible told you you could. <sighs> this, but if you if it's a biblical church, right? You, from everything you can tell, I, I just don't know. I just don't give it two or three Sundays over the course of a month. You should get a feel for what's normal. But it takes a month to do that. It also takes a month for you to be recognized and seen a lot of times and for you to make some connections. So I'd encourage anybody, go slow. And finding a church is hard. It is hard work. But go to a pastor or somebody's friend's pastor that you know and trust and say, hey, I want to check out this church. What do you know about him? I promise you we're not all competing. We're really not. I'm not in competition with anybody except Satan uh, trying to rescue the perishing. Uh, There are too many people in the university city area who do not know Jesus Christ as savior and Lord. And and that's, what's consuming my prayer life and time and caring for the flock that God's entrusted to me. So talk to pastors. They'll, they'll tell you about other churches. They'll help you find the right place. We don't want you at our place. If you don't want to be
0: there, we
1: want you plugged in and on fire for Jesus.
0: I like it. Uh, Our pastor, he says, stick six, uh, stick six weeks with us. So it sounds catchy and cool.
1: Um, I like it. But, <laughs> yeah. It's better than uh, four on the floor. So I, I won't use but uh,
0: that, that seems like a Pentecostal thing though. Um, it does feel a little charismatic because they're like, Oh, no. they go on the floor and, um, I yeah, think it's
1: but, a, isn't it a term, uh, isn't it a shift term. I'm not a car guy. That, uh, that, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not one either. Okay, whatever. Well, let's pretend that it is. We'll be corrected in the mail. Send all mail to complaints at huh. resident, resident skeptics,
0: skeptics. exactly
1: net. Geosities. I'm kidding. I don't yes.
0: Know. Well, uh, Pastor Chad, we have really enjoyed having you. And um, what I what we've tried to do with this podcast this year is to talk a little bit more about religion uh, talk about talk more about Christianity we're going to be having someone on talking about Catholicism uh, in a little bit so that'll be that'll be fun Um, but I just love that you are you just seem like you know the word and you're prepared for our questions and just gave such thoughtful answers to all of it so Pastor Ted thank you so much for being on and giving us your time Um, you're always welcome back on um, but we've really enjoyed having you.
1: It's been a joy to be with you. Thank you so much.